Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 45 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled The Seven Churches, Part 5. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen. Welcome, welcome to a new year. <laughs> Hallelujah. Moving on. You know, it's, uh, it's amazing how... You know, last year, I think back on last year, how much, how many things, what all happened and so many changes and some good, not some not so good, but we had all kinds of changes and moving and just, you know, and I think look back to the year before that and it was the same or more so, I'm not sure which. And, uh. It's just really nice to have something that doesn't change, like the Word of God, Amen. God's love, who God is, what God said yesterday, today, and everything God's done, it's just stuck because it's here. Amen. And uh, so even though the world around us is changing and moving, I take great comfort in knowing that God doesn't. and. That's not just words. I'm really serious. <laughs> and, uh, you can build a building, give it a little time, and it's going to rot down, right? Or if you build a new one, you got to keep it up. And uh, But God's Word is something that we don't have to do repairs on. God's Word is something that's the same. It's just as new today as it was when it was written. And something that's, uh, when we start seeing that that's how the Word of God works, we start understanding how it transcends time, that it is established and it is here and it's never changing and the new year does not affect it anyway whatsoever. <laughs> and uh, so I don't know why this morning, but that's, it just means a lot to me. That's great value to me, great comfort uh, in knowing that God's word stays the same. I don't have to remember a whole lot because it's the same. As we look and move forward today, I have the privilege of bringing in both messages today, and pastors asked me to bring the usually a, the first message of the year, and uh, I hope it's not a tradition without merit. <laughs> I hope it has some merit to it, and uh, but I do feel like the Lord's maybe given me a little something. So uh, we'll go with it, and then you can tell me at the end if it was the Lord or not. But as of today, we've been studying the churches and the reaction of the churches. What does church look like in the year in which we live? What, is, what, what does the Bible say about the churches, what a church will look like? I've mentioned Matthew 13. If you want to know what a church will look like in 2023, it's Matthew 13. It'll have wheats and tares in it. It'll have a little leaven in the lump. It'll have uh, birds that are in the branches. You'll have birds robbing truth. That's a normal day in church, according to Matthew 13. So we, as we learn that and as we see that, it, it gives us a truth about uh, where we are. Our, the atmosphere in which we're in. It gives us a truth um, in which to uh, respond to. 
And so when we come to church as a gathering, we're not to be too bent out of shape when the church is not perfect. And when it, and as I've said before, all of us was a tear in our past life before we got born again and to be in a wheat. And uh, so we were to have great understanding and understanding is the key of knowing how to behave because we tend to behave off of what our understanding is. So the variable there is understanding. We can have a variety of definitions to us understanding any particular situation or problem. And so therefore our response and our reactions come off of how we understand. And I guess one of the greatest uh, things that I'm learning is uh, it's okay not to respond. It's best not to respond with little understanding. <laughs> and it's okay to be slow to speak. It's, that's all right. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not a sign of uh, uh, that you're smarter or not. It's there may be a little bit of wisdom's happening there that it's good to, to take an assessment of what's really happening now. Now, in this day and time, as we've seen in the churches and as we move forward, in this day and time, to have true understanding is hard, is hard to come by. And uh, I can blame the world for giving me fake news, and I am concerned about that, but my greatest concern is when I give myself fake news. That's my greatest concern. And it's amazing how we can do that. It's just, it's just amazing. I have, trust me, we have more problem with our own internal fake news than we do what we see on TV. And, and we, can, we can get upset with what's on TV, but uh, would to God that we would be as upset about uh, the narrative internally. It's just not true. This just, so we, you can say, well, how do we get to this truth? to have a true narrative, and the Scriptures gives us the understanding of what the true uh, narrative is. And the, the neat thing is, the true narrative, the one that counts, the one that hits the scoreboard, if you will, uh, is what God says about you, not what you say about you. That's the one that hits the scoreboard of eternity. And so, uh, it, and it's also a bigger scoreboard than our own personal scoreboards, but uh, it's important for us to start sh shifting. And I think in this year of 2023, as I bring the next message today, that you'll see just a little bit where I'm coming from, where I think the Lord would have us to move. I think the Lord wants us to graduate, if you will, out of uh, the years up to 2022. I believe he wants us to graduate and to leave some things so that we can go on. Uh, we've had a lot of things in, well, I mean, sickness and health and uh, our political arena and all of these things. Um, but I believe that the church of Jesus Christ is going to have one of the greatest impacts that we've seen on planet Earth uh, this next year. I, I really believe that. And uh, I do know that it's possible. So as we're moving on with this, the churches here and with the second coming of Christ, uh, the key element in viewing this book of Revelation that we're going for this understanding this morning, we have 
it, it's, it, it's helpful in understanding uh, the Bible. The Apostle Paul says, study to show thyself approved. A workman that needs to not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And what he means by that, the, the Bible's kind of a big bite to swallow all at one time. And it's okay to, to divide it up and to bring back and look at it. To, it it's amazing how you can uh, rightly divide the word of truth. It also gives us an understanding you can wrongly divide uh, your home of truth. That the, uh, the Bible, that's what you said to rightly, and that's to d- divide correctly. So as we're doing that and we look at in the book of Revelation, the churches, you're, you're going to see something introduced you to the terminology several weeks ago of Christendom and versus Christianity. Christendom being the world of Christianity and being a true you know, born-again Christian. And uh, we, uh, the... We tend to view Christendom as our team and Christianity as the individual player. But let me in, let me let you in on a little understanding. Our whole, everybody on the team aren't Christian. Everybody on the team are not Christian. Now they might be playing for the team, but they're not really members of the team. And so there we have Christendom or the idea of the team of Christians and then you got individual Christianity. Now, those representing Christianity that are not Christians is causing us a little problem. You've heard it said in boxing that one of the boxers threw the fight. So it is in Christendom. We have some people in Christendom that have sold out for the money and they're throwing the fight. And that's where those of us who are in for the real fight and the true fight, we have to decide uh, if it's our fight to throw. And my understanding is it's not. So therefore, there's at no point that we can compromise. To compromise is to throw the fight. And so even though it makes us as individuals very uneasy, if you will, or very uncomfortable, I understand it. But it's important that we, it is not our fight to throw, it is our fight to fight. And so the churches, we see of the seven churches here, that they, they started uh, compromising a little bit. They did some things well, and then they did some things that wasn't so well. And so there's a deception here in the seven churches. They take on a little bit of a deception in the book of Revelation. Now, we've got up to the Patmos vision and Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. Last week, I introduced us to this thought of the seven churches, and also I introduced us to the thought of bit different doors. There's doors, we covered those, that we covered that sin is a door. Uh, how we, in other words, how does Christendom or how does compromise? Or, uh, you might do a particular sin, and the way the human mind reasons is, well, that's not so bad. Well, you don't have a complete understanding. It, it's not that the little sin might not be so bad in and of itself, if that was all there was to it. See, that, that's our problem. There's, in other words, with sin brings with it more than one demon. 
Sin brings with it something or other demonic forces. And so we just, in sin, the deceiver, do you think the deceiver is going to let you see the fullness of sin, of the destruction of sin? Uh, and when you read the scriptures and they say the wages of sin is death, that seems a little radical to me. <laughs> does it not you or is it just me? Um, and the reason the wages of sin is death is because it has the same end. Sin has the same end no matter what the sin. In other words, he made one, gave one scripture to, to give you the outcome of sin. And, and we see that it's death. So any sin brings with it that element of death. And you say, well, it doesn't look that bad. As a prophetic person, we've got to look deeper and we understand the Word of God is going to frame our thinking. And so therefore, the Word of God says any sin brings death. So as I participate in sin, what I've done is opened a door for death to walk in. And that's what we want to be aware of, and especially as a prophetic people, because the one we're wanting in is the Spirit of Christ. Right? One door into your soul, and it's up to you who you let walk through it. The enemy is constantly trying to get in that door. We covered that a little last week. So here in these seven churches, we want to use them in the Scripture as example. you got seven churches, seven seals seven trumpets, and uh, seven vials of, of the wrath of God. Now, there again, I let's, let's kind of, let's divide the scripture here a little bit. In these seven churches, and in, in the book of Revelation, you've got four main groups of sevens. What does the word seven mean? It means complete. So we got four main groups of seven. It's the seven churches, one group, seven seals, another group, seven trumpets, another group, and the seven vials of the wrath of God, which is a fourth group. So we're going, just for understanding reasons, we're going to divide the whole book of Revelation into these four divisions. Now, what I want you to see, you see this Laodicean church at the top, number seven, all right, the Laodicea church is the church at the end of the age, which is us. That's where we are. Now, the Laodicea church, you see the seven seals under the seven churches? Those seven seals happen in the Laodicea church age. Interesting. You see the seven trumpets? The seven trumpets happen in the last of the seven seals. See? Okay. And the seven vials of wrath of God happen uh, in the seventh trumpet. Isn't that, isn't that something? Is That's very helpful once you start seeing it. Uh, you, you start seeing what, what's going on here. So when you read the book of Revelation, it, it's, it's, um, it's more of a vertical understanding. It's more of a, uh, what is that little Chinese doll? And they're wooden dolls, and there'll be one inside the other. Russian, Russian, Russian I'm sorry, Russian. What they call it? It's got a name. 
The what? Nestle dogs? Nesting dogs. Oh, nesting dogs. Yeah, that's it. Well, that's where the book of Revelation is. It, you, they're in one is in the other, in the other, in the other. So when you get to the Laodicea church age, people have told me, well, Alan, the seven seals can't start. I'm like, oh, yeah, yes, yeah. We got the horse. So the horsemen are kind of riding, right? You can't deny that some of the, these horses aren't galloping across the earth. So that's what happened. Your white horse, red horse, black horse, pale horse there under the seven seals. Well, those actually are happening in the Laodicea church age. So look, think of those Chinese dolls. And then the seven trumpets, when we get to the seventh seal, the seven trumpets are in it. And then you get to, to the wrath of God. You've got, you've got Jesus' return at the end of the trumpets. And then you've got this major wrath of God's poured out. But it's still in the seventh trumpet. And so as you look at things, you try to put the book of Revelation kind of in a chronological order to get a linear uh, look at it, trying to make it chronological, but it's vertical more than it's chronological. And so once you start, there again, it's a prophetic book. So you got to think prophetic and you got to think, okay, Revelation. But now the book can easily be understood if you kind of get just a few little fundamentals down, this being one of them, as you understand that. So now the seventh of each group contains the next group of the sevens. The seven seals and the church, the seven trumpets are in the seventh seal. The seven plagues are in the trumpet, the second, then you've got the second coming of Christ. Then you've got the vials poured out. Now here's what I'm going to, here's another little Show you how to divide this thing up. The seven seals is what I call the long story. Uh, then I'm going to say there's a shorter story. It's the same story. At the end of all of these is the second coming of Christ. Isn't it amazing that you get to the end of the seals and the end of the trumpets, you got the second coming across here, and all of a sudden, well, I thought he already came. But there he is again. You see, so that's the reason it can seem confusion if you're trying to do it chronologically. You got to understand, okay, there's a long story, and I call it a short story. Then I say the shortest story, all right? And I'll give you these scriptures. Now, the four accounts of the second coming, the first one's in Revelation 4, 8 through 5. This is the first account of the second coming. The second account is Revelation 8, uh, uh, 6 through 11, uh, 19, that's the second account. The third is Revelation 12 through 14. That's the third account. And the fourth account is Revelation 15. That's the fourth account of the second coming. So you start understanding, we got, well, wait a minute. In the book of Revelation, I got four accounts of the second coming. Is that helpful? You see, you got, you got four accounts. And so then when you start seeing those things pile in on top of each other, you start saying, oh, okay. This is part of the long story of the second coming. Oh, this scripture, okay, yeah, this is a little. In other words, you can go to those scriptures and still end up at the same place, and the reason is they're all in the last one. So you're always going to end up on the second coming of Christ. That's where they all end up. Now, there's two things about these seven churches, and I'm not trying to do a book of Revelation teaching here, 
But I'm trying to give you just a few little things that you can might be helpful in understanding the book. There's uh, two things about the seven churches, and that's what uh, this teaching is about, is these seven churches. What does this churches look like? What does church look like? Give us, and God gave us some examples. The first, they are a picture of seven kinds of churches that you find in any age, in any period of history. The second thing is the prophetic nature of these letters. They are a preview of the entire age of the church falling into seven periods and six deceptions. So, Here's what I want you to see. The seven churches are, were literally seven churches. John was in the Isle of Patmos, and he sent out seven letters to seven churches. It wasn't necessarily the biggest churches. It's just that the Holy Spirit said, okay, there's some problems here, here, and here. I want you to write them down. It was these seven churches. and uh, But also the seven churches, and I'll show it to you, Each church, the definition of each church and what's happening to each church is actually an age in church history for the last 2,000 years. Isn't that amazing? I mean, so you can look at that church and at the the beginning up up and through, say, Constantine, 3, 12, 14, uh, there's, there's your first church and right there's the time period. Uh, I'll kind of do it like this. Okay, the first church you have is called Ephesus, and we're going to look at it uh, here. We'll start there this morning, I'm sure, maybe get a little further, is Ephesus. Now, that church is a, shows their behavior and what they did kind of covered the first 100 years from 31 to 100 A.D. When you look at this church and we read about the church of Ephesus, just think about the early church. And if you want to know the problem of the early church, you look at uh, the church in Ephesus. Not only that, historically, it covers that time period to a T. The church in that time period uh, had a problem that, that is pointed out, that Jesus points out to them. But the next church is Smyrna. Now, in that church, it was from Roman persecution uh, up to around 313 A.D. That's when Constantine made Christianity the religion uh, of Rome. Now, we need to understand, too, when Jesus was on the earth, Rome was a new, uh, it was a new deal. A new, uh, it, it was a new uh, uh, force to be dealt with. Rome was just coming in. When Jesus was born, Rome was just coming in to, to being somebody. I don't know if it, I'm, I'm probably off, but the number, 50 or 75 years, I think. I'll have to look that up. But Rome was very young. Jesus was born. Uh, but Rome got into persecuting uh, the Christians. This is the big time of persecution. You can look historically. You can look at the church at Smyrna. And when we read it, Jesus will say, I know about your problems and what's going on, the persecution. The next one is Pergamum. Now, this is an interesting church. This is the rise of the papacy in 313 till the end. In other words, that's when, Catholic, that's when the Catholic Church was born. With you know, Most of y'all in here know the story of, of Constantine, and he 
Uh, one morning he said, I'm going to make Christianity uh, the religion of Rome. And that's when the Catholic Church was born, which is uh, has a lot of things wrong with it. The part I do not understand is God used the Catholic Church to preserve his word for 1,500 years. It looks like you could have found a better crowd, doesn't it? But for whatever reason, God used them, and a lot of it, I think, had to do with the monks were the ones that preserved it. It was preserved by making multiple of copies, right? And uh, you have two, that's another teaching, but you hold in your hand a Bible, and it, it comes to you through two ideas of thought. Uh, one thought is, what's the oldest manuscript? Most people, a lot of people like the idea that if there's one copy that's older than the rest of the copies, then that must be the true copy. But you got to understand, they're all copies. We, we have no originals. Everything you have out here are copies. Even our originals are copies. But there's this idea of thought. If you have, and the, the oldest copy is therefore must be more pure. In my Bible translation, I'm not going to tell you which ones are what. You'll have to do that yourself. I have. I don't have a problem with any of them. But yet the idea is uh, the oldest copies, and then therefore you this one was 100, and this one's 150, or or this Isaiah came in uh, 200 uh, B.C. What they, they're trying to go over the oldest copies. Now, there is a doctrine of the preservation of the Word of God, I call it, the doctrine of the preservation of the Word of God. God promises, I mean, even with the original Ten Commandments, you got to understand, there was, the original Ten Commandments were not in the Ark of the Covenant. It was a copy. The original got broken. Right? So God started off even with the original Ten Commandments as a copy. So I call it preservation through copies. So God, there's a doctrine all the way through Scripture. A lot of times you'd have a, you'd have a prophet eat the original. Then he said, now write it back down again. So it's like the originals always got somehow destroyed. Because God was into this thing of copies. So another form of translations is off the idea of the multiple of copies. If there's 150 of this one that match, we're going to say this one's more correct versus, you see what I'm saying? So you got a multiple of copies to prove authenticity. And so uh, some translations in which that's the ones I tend to embrace more because I understand the doctrine of how God of preservation, how he's going to preserve his word. Then you go on and down the system and then the Apostle Paul comes on and saying, he, he writes this thing. He says, you are a living epistle. You remember that scripture, Apostle Paul said? So, so then you got to understand, oh, I'm a copy. You see, God's into the preservation of his word through the multiple of copies. You see, see that? That's the way God does it. And so... God didn't let Jesus stay on the earth, the original. He said, no, I want the, the copies to populate the earth. Is that not good? You see, he, he wants the copies to populate the earth. 
So then all of a sudden, I feel this heavy. <laughs> I need to dust myself off. I need to be a decent copy. Don't you think? And then we understand that others are reading this copy. You can say, oh, I don't want everybody to leave me alone. I got my own life, bless God. <laughs> you do not. You are a living epistle of the Word of God. Now, act like it. Walk in it. Uh, God is preserving His Word through you. And it's very important that we understand as a prophetic people how God thinks and, and, and what, what's His deal. He, he's not that upset about losing His Word. Even, even though, I mean, come on, I mean, the Bible's been there in some of the earlier writings longer than 2,000 years, and, and it's here. And, and just that very fact, it's just amazing to me. It's just, I mean, it is beyond, it is just so amazing to me. But then when we understand the doctrine of preservation and how God was going to preserve His Word, how God was going to preserve His church, His Word, how God was going to preserve the experience of His Spirit, was through the multiple of copies. So he wants the Holy Spirit in each one of us to be experienced. And that in itself is, per, is a preservation act. I mean, everybody today and all this grand, they want to preserve the earth and preserve this. And I'm like, my land. You got preservation down, but it's, you got, you've picked the wrong topic. You see? And so... And, and so it is with the lost and with the enemy. He, he duplicates everything. And when you see people trying to preserve the earth, under, understand something. That is God. That's the way God does stuff. He's into preservation. And, and not only that, he's into preservation so much. He loves to redeem that that's lost so it can be preserved. All right? Redemption, a redeemed individual, creates the greatest atmosphere or the greatest greenhouse, if you will, to grow the things that God wants to preserve. Then you start understanding why sin ain't fun no more. God doesn't want it in your greenhouse. Uh, why slander? Why anger? Bad thoughts? Have you noticed the closer to God you get, you just don't do sin well? We, would, we never were that good at it to start with. We just thought we were, right? We thought we were really good sinners. I, uh, humans do not sin well because we were not created to do that. So we, we're not really it's like a, a rabbit trying to fly a 747. It just wouldn't really be good. It wouldn't be cool. And we're not cool when we're sinning. We have to be in this illusion, the illusion that we are really, it's, it's amazing the more we sin, the more cool we want to be, right? Let's just go figure it. So when God's in the preservation business and we get to these seven churches, God's idea is he's preserving truth through a group called the church. And so he says, you got a few things you need to work out here. Now, well, I kind of got sidetracked. Didn't I? So you got the Catholic Church there. Then you got Thyatira. You got Papal Supremacy. 
this is for about a thousand years that the Catholic Church was supreme uh, upon the planet as far as Christianity was concerned. It ruled countries, ruled nations, got pretty perverted. Uh, it was used by all the forces of evil, if you will. Now, can there still be a believer in the Catholic Church as an individual? The answer is yes. But Christendom, or the former act of, of Christianity, was rampant and, and no believers uh, in that. The next church is Sardis. Uh, it's what we call the Protestant Reformation, about 1500. That's when, of course, you know Martin Luther he started connecting some dots. Uh, some things were not making sense. Martin Luther nailed his theses on the door. So we had this Reformation now. And in all honesty, uh, I got... If you'll see Popper's supremacy, I've said to 1500 A.D., I, I really should put 500 to 1500 A.D. until till end there also. But the main supremacy of the earth was about to 1500. If you'll see right before that, Pergamon Church, the rise of the papacy, I got till the end. In other words, it's always here with us of this form of Christendom. The, uh, the Philadelphia Church. Now, the Philadelphia Church is a prophetic awakening. Uh, we also saw this prophetic awakening kind of started in around 1798. Uh, the prophetic, as you had Reformation, then out of that you started having uh, the prophetic as part of Christianity started being, uh, God re started recovering that. Uh, during those times, you had uh, you had in um, um, Ireland. They even had prophetic conferences there, and uh, in these prophetic conferences, uh, you had people like John Darby, uh, Jane, um, Ed uh, Edwards. What was his name? John. No, not John Edwards. It was um, it was with guy with Darby. No, it was Schofield was after Darby. Edwards, Edward, Edward Irving, Edward Irving. He was a young guy in those prophetic conferences. Darby and some of these other guys. They were older guys, and uh, so they came out of these uh, prophetic conferences, um, and the prophetic started. In this day and time, those guys uh, did talk what they what you would. And I hate to even use the term, lest it be labeled incorrectly. Uh, the dispensational Bible teaching, which went over the earth for years, uh, and I am of the person that dispensation just means uh, if you if you if you go to a drink machine and get a Coke and put in. Well, ever how much you have to put in now? Hundred dollars on a dollar, they're so expensive. Um, if you go to a Coke machine, put in your money, you get a Coke. Uh, that Coke machine is called a dispensary. It dispenses a Coke. Uh, in the early, very earliest teachings of what was labeled, which is unfortunate, what was labeled as dispensational teaching, uh, what it means is, in other words, it. it, it 
dispensational teaching has this understanding. God continually poured out revelation and truth to the earth. And each time he had a big pouring out, they called it, they use the word in some translations, they use the word uh, dispensation of time. And it's, it's just in scripture. And my concern and my sadness is the modern prophetic movement, charismatic movements have demonized the term dispensational and they have no idea that's where their roots are. No idea whatsoever. <laughs> Most of them came out of uh, the year, a few years after the Reformation as God was recovering things. But that's, a, that's another day. It doesn't make any difference. Uh, did some people uh, uh, early uh, uh, 1800s, was there groups that got off? Yes, there was groups that got off and said, well, God's not doing miracles today. And But but not all the groups did that. There were some that did. They were very vocal in some universities. But still, yet it's unfortunate because the, the revelation and the truth of God dispensing truth down through the ages has been demonized, but each prophetic movement claims it. Yeah, God still speaks, right? <laughs> that's, and that's what, that's what the dispense. So they had these prophetic conferences in, in Ireland, actually. And uh, here's all of these... Uh, Bible scholars were sitting around studying the Word of God, trying to discover that, in other words, at the Reformation, it was obvious to all of these that God was beginning to recover truth that was lost. So you had 1,500 years, what we call the Dark Ages. A lot of the truth of the Word of God was lost from the early church, right? Um, it's just like the rapture of the church. Everybody says that's a new doctrine. No, it's not. It's in some of the writings. It's uh, is 75 to 150 AD about the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Uh, does that make it right? I'm not saying it makes it right, but still there are, uh, there, there are writings all the way back. What happened in that movement, uh, uh, the one of the, the main movement that was there, one of them, was called the Powers, Powers Scort Conferences. P-O-W-E-R, Scort, S-C-O, whatever you scored it on up, I was all on it. Power Scort was the name of it. Uh, you can look it up. There was a lady Power Scort uh, that she kind of had almost like a castle, and she'd had prophetic conferences. God used her to call in these leaders all over the several countries. They'd come in there and meet a week or two at a time and had what's called what we know of the modern day uh, prophetic movements. And you had... Uh, Edwards, what did I just say his name on? Irvin, Irvin Edwards. He kind of had Darby at that time. He was an older guy. Uh, Irvin Edwards is a young guy. He went back uh, to London. He started one of the biggest churches there. Uh, along with, there were several preachers that came out of that, huge preachers. And, they, and you had all different, you had brethren. Uh, Darby is more out of the brethren movement. But then you had uh, Edwards. He went with, he was the, one of the first ones that went, he said, I'm going with the fullness of the Spirit. I believe it's, I believe God can do it all. So he went back in this, and started this church. It grew to just incredible size. And uh, it's just an interesting read if you want to ever read that. Uh, they had healing, prayed for healing, uh, just kind of the whole deal. And Darby and all these other guys, they were all friends. They were keeping up with each other. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so it was amazing how that evolved. Edwards, 
I think he he died at it seems like a early young age, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but anyway, they had all kinds of movements in the power of God uh, going on, and and they did in those conferences and things. And the power of God moved, and 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 nobody knew what they were doing. It's, it's not like you know what you're doing, so the power of God moves. It's it's like it's like God wakes up one morning and says, "Hey, I'm gonna." I'm going to enlighten some people. I'm going to give more revelation and understanding. You know? And it's just like God does it. And then through history, we try to label it and give it names and make such a terrible mess of things. <laughs> you know, God will give everybody a label and then we'll throw all of that out with that label because you're under that label. It's, it's a, kind of a racist type in spiritual mentality, to be honest with you. So uh, that's what happened in that prophetic awakening. Just an incredible Time and in the prophetical awakening, I mean, a lot of the things that we're doing today in church and call normal was not normal 100 years ago, or 125 anyway. You know, then we had Azusa Street happened. Well, at the time Azusa Street was happening, it wasn't cool. <laughs> it wasn't cool. Uh, today we look back on it, great books have been written about it, how cool the great. Fathers and mothers in the faith, how great. But if you lived then, it wasn't that cool. But it was who God used to recover truth that has been lost. So, so we do not have the complete revelation of this book because a lot of it was lost in the dark ages. Now, there's just a group of little monks that God kept preserving the Word of God through making copies and they were, most of those were in the Catholic Church, and God used them in a mighty way, kind of left everything kind of hidden in a way. But we, we got to understand, we are living in a time that God doesn't want it hidden anymore. But we're living in a time that God says, no, I'm recovering my truth, I'm recovering it quickly, is what he's saying. I'm recovering it quickly because the time is at hand. So we're not living in the time of the dark ages, even though it looks like we're wanting to go back there. But nonetheless, that's not the time that we're living in. So uh, that was uh, then the Philadelphia church, the prophetic awakening. That's the only church that Jesus didn't have something to say bad about them. Isn't that something? So with, with all that's went on in the prophetic church, the prophetic awakenings, God recovering truth, uh, I would I would have to look around and say, God, don't you think you got more today to complain about than you ever had? And and uh, so that's that's the Philadelphia church. Now let's move a little further. There's another church called the Church of Laodicea, and uh, time of judgment and the opening of the seven seals. So we know, and we can look back and tell that these seals are being opened. We can't we can't. There again, those seals are in the Laodicean church. That's the age we're in. So are, 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 these, is, are these horses going to be riding, which is famine and, you know, all the horses, the diseases and famine and everything that's, that they bring with it, death. Uh, you'll have to, there'll be starvation. Uh, and, and it's amazing to me, uh, five years ago, planet Earth was at its greatest precipice. It was, uh, isn't that's not the right word? They were at their greatest crescendo or height of food production to the earth. They're just about what anybody globally going hungry. 
we were producing more than enough food to feed the planet. Now, you can talk about GMOs and all those arguments. I know them all, and one day I like them, next day I don't. So I'm not here to battle that one. But this I can tell you, that the earth was being fed. I mean, you didn't see so many hungry countries five years ago on TV, right? I mean... You couldn't even use it to raise money because there, there wasn't as many of them. I'm not saying there weren't specific places that weren't in drought or in hunger. There were. But I'm saying globally, the world was being fed. At our height of feeding the earth, and the enemy wanted to put a stop to it. This is another reason I'm against climate change, global warming, and the like. Because we were at our height of producing food. The enemy said, I'm going to put a stop to it. And I'm like, you can't stop this thing. It's too big, the earth. And now we've got governments putting farmers in jail. Governments killing cattle, getting rid of them. Listen to this, because it's more humane. We're going to kill babies. It's more humane. Are, are you with me? See, when you open that door of abortion, it's going to go through our whole system. It's not just babies. It's your food too. Why? Because this horse of death has been released. It's just not babies. It's death in all of these arenas. Now I'm seeing our food supply being attacked to be destroyed and, and the conversations that are taking place on why they're doing it, I can't believe somebody in the second grade would have such conversation. I, I just, it's, it's beyond me. And I'm not that smart. So there's people smarter than me talking dumber than me. I feel good about myself. <laughs> Such a high price, price to pay, right? So this is a time that we're living. That's the reason these doors are just so, uh, it's just, we can't open these doors. I mean, is abortion a big deal? You can't compromise it. It wasn't given to us to compromise. Well, it was, and you can say, well, Roe versus Wade. I mean, that's, that's kind of a token. It has saved lives already. But if you think the enemy's going to lay down and die on that one, if you believe that, you believe Putin's going to tuck tail and run from uh, over there, from Ukraine. <laughs> Putin ain't going to tuck tail and run. Satan isn't either. So we find ourselves in this dilemma. How do we approach it with these seven churches? The church of Laodicea, the opening of the seven seals, the condition of the church, what it looks like. I'm going to get that. It will go. And I thought I'd get to Ephesus this morning. You can see I didn't. We'll get into Ephesus next week on what Jesus said that he had against. He's doing a pretty good job, but you're making a mess right here. And we really want to look at the messes of the seven churches or the six of the seven. Philadelphia. Jesus is cool with Philadelphia. And uh, so we'll look at those things so we know how to behave in 2023. Are you with me? Okay, let's stand. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for your word, your will. 
We thank you, O oh God, that you've given us your word and you've preserved it for us. It's our prayer that your Holy Spirit would be with us. Give us this edge on the world that you give us revelation of what you're saying. We can see what you're saying. We can take it to heart and we can know how to live in 2023. Thank you for this uh, incredible group of people here on the side of the road. Thank you for those that are watching online. We consider them part of this family. We bless them also. So be with us, oh God, as you give us revelation for this next year. And as we live out being the children of God in the kingdom of God to make a difference. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.